What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have special guest Daniel Wiseman on the line today. How you doing, man? I am fantastic. How you doing? Man, I'm never better. Well, I got I got that that cough, man. I still didn't shake that cough yet. So if it if it starts acting up on us, we just have to wing it. You got your uh, honey infused tea and your orange juice right next to him. I'm sure, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I got to do that, that video Twitter and take a uh, shot of olive oil. I had not done the shots of olive oil. Have you, have you tried that? You know, I know uh, friends of mine who are uh, singers, and they they swear by olive oil uh, shots to relax the voice, especially when you're doing you know long uh, long bouts of talking. So I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, I mean, why not? It gives you an excuse to do shots of olive oil, so I'm in. Hey, I get my monounsaturated fats in for the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. So for anybody that doesn't know you, just kind of give give the audience a quick little bio. Kind of what's the what's your story? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm uh, I exist basically on Twitter as a professional shit poster. I go by Steak and Iron on there, um, and I just kind of have a lot of fun interacting with people who uh, agree with me or disagree with me. I've got uh, you know a lot of uh, kind of controversial opinions about everything from diet and exercise, health and fitness. Um, uh, ethics, morals, religion, whatever. I just kind of talk about whatever I want to talk about on there. And I just have a good time um, because I have sort of uh, arrived where I'm at by questioning everything that I, uh, you know, I quote unquote knew to be true. Uh, and that brought me to a ketogenic lifestyle, which is sort of, you know, running about as far against the grain as one can be health wise. Uh, you know, I got through college uh, with an in- engineering degree um, some years ago and basically spent my entire college career focusing only on, you know, studies and, and not doing absolutely nothing for my health and being rather, uh, rather broke at the time. Uh, you know, I live in Northern California where it's very expensive and I didn't have a whole lot of money left over for food. So I was eating cake mix. Uh, I was eating expired bread, rice, um, uh, you know, frozen fruit, whatever I can get my hands on, mostly sugar and garbage, tried to get my health in line, tried veganism, tried gluten-free, tried a bunch of different things, and eventually just sort of, um, you know, through the internet and through my own research and basically uh, getting to the point where I'm like, well, well, hell, what haven't I tried? Um, Found barbell training and found a ketogenic diet, and that was uh, going on about eight years ago now. Um, Lost about uh, 80 pounds of uh, of fat, uh, probably gained 20, 30 pounds of muscle, and uh, gained a level of vitality uh, now in my 30s that I wish I had in my 20s, but it, it, I feel very uh, empowered because of that. That's freaking awesome, man. I, I love I love hearing the stories for people like that have tried everything. Like I've, I, yeah. I pride myself in not being a one trick pony and like kind of having. If the more experience you have in the different realms, the more you know knowledge you can yeah. bring to the table. And so, yeah. so just kind of dive into that. Like what 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 did you try and kind of flesh that out a little bit? Like what did well, you like about it? What did you not like about it? Well, you know, my first uh, kind of attempts at losing weight were, you know, I was still in college and it's like, okay, you, you eat less and you move more. Well, okay, maybe I've got a, I got a gym in my apartment complex and go sit on the, uh, the bicycle and ride around a little bit and then count my calories and keep my calories down to, uh, I was like 1500 calories or something a day. And, uh, you know, that was all like 100 calorie packs of Cheez Its and stuff because a calorie is a calorie, right? And I was just exhausted and beat and, irritable and depressed the whole time and yeah i lost a couple pounds but it wasn't anywhere near sustainable um sometime after that i discovered um the sort of what the first wave this was in the early 2000s like the the first wave of that era of the uh, atkins diet coming back and i tried that 
Um, and that was basically uh, eating a lot of like a heavy cream infused jello. And I lost some pounds doing that too. But then um, at the same time, you know, it seemed like it was very restrictive for me. I didn't really know much about uh, cooking or food in general. Um, and I got a, I came down with a cold once and I took some NyQuil and I realized there's sugar in that. And I said, fuck it. This is, this is nonsense. I can't do this. I'm done. And I just sort of forgot about health and fitness until I graduated and had a little bit of, uh, um, you know, freedom to, to do what I want. And like I said, I tried the vegan thing because that was, uh, you know, that was sort of like, you know, how, how do you get fit? Well, you, you go vegan. Vegans are fit, right? I mean, they're the healthiest people in the world and they never get diseases or heart attacks and strokes or nothing. And, uh, all they have is just a tremendous amount of willpower. And that just basically put me on the toilet for about two months straight. Um, very little energy. Uh, I'll probably lost some weight. I don't know. I, 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 but, uh, you know, it, it, my, my size 40 jeans were getting tight. I just, I knew something had to change. And so I, I just ran through everything I could think of. And I mean, really the only thing that, that didn't leave me feeling like I was hit by a truck every morning was, dropping the carbs and it was weird to me because the whole thing was like oh you need carbs for energy you need you need to have carbs and i was like well okay uh i you know i'm gonna feel exhausted and stuff all the time and i got maybe a day or two of that and then i just sort of realized that wait a minute you know i'm not falling asleep in the middle of the day i'm able to grab a task at work and stick with it i'm able to you know read a whole book you know, this is like, like this, this level of energy I'd never had before after just a very short kind of adaptation period. And, you know, then at the same time, the weight was coming off. And at the same time, you know, with the barbell training, I have physically resolved to the fact that I'm never going to be a runner. I don't think any of my ancestors were runners. I think my, uh, my ancestors must have been ambush predators or something because I despise uh, cardio on a very deep level. Um, but despite the doing none at all, the, the weight came off and I could see that progress happening with the, the weights on the bar and the, the, the measurements and the look at the way I looked in the mirror. And I was like, okay, this works for me. This is now, this is now how I live. I love it, man. I love it. So what, mm-hmm. um, what, what do you think the main, the main reason is like for any bit, I'm assuming most of mine probably knows about the ketogenic diet and kind of like the anti-inflammatory effects and, you know, more energy, sustained energy throughout the day. But what what did you, I mean, what would you describe as the reason, you know, the diet worked for you, whereas the other ones did not? I think that it just, I don't, I don't feel like I'm depriving myself. You know, I think that the, and it's a, it's a hundred percent mental thing, you know, having all the rest of the, 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 the clarity and the focus and everything else comes with it. But I think that that's probably the the biggest thing was i don't feel like i am depriving myself i don't say i can't have that or i you know oh i'm i'm on a diet therefore i, I don't feel that you know i don't it's like yeah sure candies and cookies and whatever they're great but it's, they don't they don't seem special to me anymore it and is. i know that if i go out and i'd want to just go totally nuts and i've if i if i had less self-respect honestly robert i'd probably make a career in in competitive eating because i can i could easily put down you know, two whole chickens in a sitting. I can do that, but I can, I can have a, a large meal, you know, a big, you know, I can, I can eat two, three pounds of steak or whatever at a meal and on a ketogenic diet, you know, as long as I don't have my potatoes with it and I don't get sick, I don't get lethargic. The scale doesn't jump up four pounds the next day. I'm um, just, it just, the only side effect is I'm not hungry for like the next 36 hours. Yeah. So, you know, and everything, it tastes good. It, it feels nourishing. You know, you, you have a big, you know, a bowl of cereal or, you know, 
big pile of spaghetti or something, you want to take a nap afterwards, but you have, you know, a big nourishing meal of, uh, of, of meat and the way your, your body's supposed to function and you just want to take on the rest of the day. And that benefit it outweighs anything that you can just go to the, you know, the middle rows of the grocery store and you get a box of Oreos or something. It's like, it's just, it's not worth it. I don't even want it anymore. And that was such a transformation to just not feel like I was preventing myself from doing or having things that I wanted. That's huge. Yeah. That, that, I mean, people don't talk about that enough, but like the psychological aspect of your nutrition and, you know, dieting and just like, you know, the, the foods you eat in general, if you feel deprived of something, there's like a switch that occurs and you automatically are, are more drawn to it. You're less likely to be, you know, uh, disciplined with your goals. Cause, I mean, pe- people, mm-hmm. human nature, they do not want to feel like they're they're deprived of anything, whether it's food or anything, for that matter. And yeah, it, you can only you you know people treat the willpower like it's you know it's it's infinite, right? I mean, it, but you really got to look at it is that it's like a a, a finite resource. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like a battery, and you cannot self-flagellate forever right i mean if you honestly feel deprived of something i mean maybe maybe you can go days or weeks or months or whatever doing it. i mean obviously you do this contest prep where you eat you know from what i can tell nothing but miracle rice <laughs> for and, and chicken breast for you know to get down to these insanely low things but it, it you can't do that forever and that's just this diet mindset that you just have to restrict yourself forever eventually you're going to break down and when you do you feel like a failure and that is just that is not the way to live you know, we we as human beings, we deserve better than that. I agree. I agree. What um, I don't know, like since since you've kind of gone through the ringer and, and and experienced that, you know, firsthand, what would be like what words of wisdom would you give to somebody that might be in the dieting, you know, trenches right now, and they they don't? Cause it's, it's funny, like perspective and and knowing, you know, how much better you feel. Like people that haven't really gotten into ketosis, they haven't had that feeling. They don't even know what they're missing out on. Like I didn't realize how inflamed my joints and my knees were until after I'd been in ketosis. Like, I, I didn't even realize they were like that. And I didn't realize, oh, like, yeah. from a dieting perspective, how I felt so deprived before um, until, mm-hmm. you know, now that I no longer do. So, like, what would you tell somebody that's, you know, kind of on the fence as to whether or not they want to try the diet or just they don't know what the next step is? Well, if you want to try the diet, I think uh, if, the, if there's an initial hesitation about going into something as insane as ketosis, which I mean, from the average person, it's like, okay, well, you're going to do everything that the doctor says is going to kill you. My advice is like, well, how good is what you've been doing work so far? And if it's working good so far, keep doing it. I don't care. I'm not your mom. I'm not going to tell you what to eat. But if it's not, why not try something different? I mean, you could probably stand on your head for 30 days with no, you know, um, you know, ill effects. Uh, try it for 30 days, see how you feel. And I think that once you actually do take that dive into doing a ketogenic diet, don't fall into the trap that a lot of people do of trying to come up with technically ketogenic versions of garbage. Um, one of the, the best pieces of advice uh, that, I, you know, that I like, and I, I can't even remember if I came up with it or if I heard it in a conversation or read it somewhere, but this just stuck in my mind is that, you know, a cake doesn't become a health food because you made it with almond flour and stevia. It's still a treat. That shouldn't be the backbone of your diet. Make whole food the way that your grandmother and your great-grandmother and your caveman ancestors, the way they ate their food, eat that way. That's how you should structure your ketogenic diet. And, I mean, in, in my perspective, that means mostly whole meats. You know, eat the fat. Don't fear the fat. 
Uh, don't go out of your way to add, you know, gobs and gobs of fat to everything. Don't, you know, don't be sucking down sticks of butter. I'm not really sure that that's the healthiest uh, thing to do either. But, you know, eat this whole nourishing food. I mean, maybe it doesn't tickle your brain centers the same way as a pack of Oreos did or something, you know, drenched in, uh, in Splenda. But that's part of also developing that healthy relationship with food. Food is nourishing. Food is not, you know, the, the core part of every activity every day. It is not entertainment that is there to just, you know, keep you amused. It's there to give you the energy and the power you need to get through your day and accomplish everything else. Yeah, I agree. And Absolutely. Yeah. And just making that relationship and using the, the ketogenic diet as a springboard to have a healthy relationship with food uh, is extremely powerful. And that's, that's one, I think probably the, one of the best benefits I've ever gotten with it. I've got a vastly healthy relationship with food now than I ever have. Yeah. I, I mean, that's especially like as a competitor for me, like when I do a competition prep, you know, especially in the past with the carbs and having like deprived myself for, you know, months at a time and, mm-hmm. and like developing eating disorders and like binging and then purging. Like, the relationship one has with food, I mean, th- th- you can't say enough about how important and critical that is for it to be, you know, on point. Because if that's, if that's off kilter, I mean, it's, it's going to be devastating on, on multiple, multiple levels. Oh, yeah, big time. You know, I, and I had to deal with it myself. I had a, um, you know, I was, I was in ketosis, but I was also, um, I was in, a, a, let's say, a bad place mentally. And my focus was basically like, well, everything else sucks. My work sucked. My relationships sucked. Everything in my life was sucked. That I didn't have any money, but I'm going to get my, my diet perfect. And I'm going to go just burn myself to the, you know, both ends of the candle at the gym. And I'm going to, for the first time in my life, get down to this number on the scale that I deem to be special for some damn reason. And I did it. And it was all very uh, exciting. And then I gained 30 pounds in a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it, Total blowback because I didn't fix that relationship with food. It, I, it was active deprivation and it was me patting myself on the back by saying, look how strong and, and manly and great I am by being able to restrict myself to this level. Um, you know, clearly uh, I am a great human being for doing this, yada, yada, yada. But then eventually once, once that, that, that barrier was broken, there was nothing else. Uh, there was no, no reason for me to continue doing anything. So old habits came back and came back and forced because now, you know, there's that that um, I don't know momentum or whatever that uh, that kind of spring back effect, and you know it's obviously not hunger. Nobody's you know actually hungry enough to eat a gallon of ice cream, but I was. So I mean, there's definitely more to that, and you know that that's I think is also you know it's a, it's a big part that I don't think enough people talk about. I'm really glad you do uh, talk about this kind of mental aspect uh, of food, especially because you know your. Um, you know, relationship with nutrition has to be, uh, intimate, uh, to do what you do and seeing the people that get down to these, you know, I mean, I think even you would admit that being at a 3% body fat, uh, um, you know, level is not sustainable or even healthy for a long period of time. Oh yeah. No, uh, that's no. not where human beings are, are, are meant to be. That is, that is a, uh, you know, performance, uh, attribute that is, that is, that is for show that is for sport. That's not something that people are supposed to live at in very much the same way. Nobody's supposed to live at 35 or 40% body fat. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, talking about the way that you, you actually relate to food and how food, you know, has these emotions attached to it and has these, these different kind of, um, you know, speed bumps and everything involved in it. You know, you just can't cut out food entirely from your life. So you have to develop that, that healthy relationship with food. Uh, otherwise, you know, it doesn't matter what diet you're on, you're, you're doomed for failure. I'm curious, man, what, what do you think, like, is, is simply eating the ketogenic foods, you know, whole, 
natural foods, the the contributing factor to that shift in psychological thinking towards the food, or is there like like how does that happen? Like I don't I don't know the answer to this. I'd be curious to get your take. But like when I switched to keto, I I seemingly automatically developed a much better relationship with food. I don't know that it was. I mean, I can't assume that it's just the physical aspect of. It. There's got to be some mental aspect. I don't know the relationship that they played, but I'm curious to get your take on that. It's my understanding, and I, I, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a you know food historian, anything like that. But the, the it's my understanding that really food that we have now um, has been engineered and developed to tickle centers of the brain in a way that nature didn't prepare us for. And that is to say that they are more stimulating. They're more, um, uh, you know, uh, they, they stimulate the reward centers of the brain to a greater degree than we're used to dealing with. And that's true for even non-food substances. You can look at the brain is full of, you know, opiate receptors and things like that. So if you take in an opiate, well, that lights up the centers of your brain way more than the opiate centers for, you know, pain reduction and stuff in your body are designed to, um, to react to. And, you know, if you were to say, just be a caveman walking through the world and you stumble across a carbohydrate source, what it might be a piece of fruit, but that piece of fruit is going to be nothing like a honey crisp apple or a banana you'll find in the store. It's going to be a primitive fruit. It's probably very sour, very bitter, um, has some sugar in it, not much, uh, probably very heavy in fiber. So you're not going to be getting a big blood sugar spike out of it. Um, you might be finding a potato. Um, or a proto potato on the ground, buried uh, in the ground, uh, which is going to be loaded with solanine. Uh, it's going to be very bitter. If you eat too many of them, you're going to throw up. Um, or, I mean, it just, they're going to be so fibrous that there's not going to be any way to, for you to consume any large amount of them. And certainly you're never going to find any food in nature that has large amounts of both fat and sugar in it at the same time. Those foods do not exist. I mean, the only thing that you're ever going to find in nature that has that is mother's milk. And that's one of the that's one of the theories that things like cheesecake are so appealing to the the human uh, um, uh, brain is that they they have the same kind of protein fat and carbohydrate ratio as breast milk. But when these companies that want to sell a food and a processed food uh, to the you know consumers and they want them to be as delicious as possible, I don't think they're necessarily trying to like hypnotize people into these things. But they do they can produce foods that are better than what nature produced, at least in the reaction that they get in the brain. And that makes them addictive. And just by breaking that cycle and going back to the foods that your body is prepared for, you can get the nourishment out of it um, while not getting that drug-like response. And that's not going to be a hundred percent of the story. I think that you can absolutely, absolutely overeat and become, you know, uh, or at least um, project the addictive behavior onto anything. I've heard of people being addicted to eating cotton balls, right? But, I think that it, it helps move people away from that stimulus and response um, that, that's very difficult. Yeah, I, I, can, I can agree with that for sure. Um, I haven't seen too many cavemen eating like Twinkies, so I don't think they were around back then. <laughs> yeah, there's no fossilized Twinkies in the uh, Smithsonian last I checked. Yeah. I mean, probably the closest thing you'd ever find in nature to, to you know, that kind of stuff would be like honey. And hum- honey has armed guards. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have flying needles covered in poison protecting honey. That's how valuable that actually would be in nature. Uh, so that just kind of gives you an idea of how unusual that level of uh, you know sugar would be. You know, if you had a fruit that looked like a honey crisp apple out in nature, there's no way the birds would ever let that mature. That would get eaten well before it even reached maturity. It's too uh, too attractive. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy. Like 
I don't know, like I, I oftentimes, you know, think of not myself, but I, I look at, you know, wild animals, like wild predators out, out there and they I look at their relationship with food and it's strictly like a you know, a a use. It's a it's a fuel source, it's a means to an end and I respect that. Like they are like you look at a freaking lion or tiger or something and they eat what they need to fuel their exercise to hunt down the next you know item of prey and that is like a healthy relationship of food like it, it's it is what it is and you use it to the best of your yeah. ability the people that yeah, you, you know, can look go ahead i was gonna say you could look at a, a lion uh you know that may have um you know these uh, herds that are around it or you can look at say a cattle in a field or a wild uh, uh gazelle or whatever that they've got infinite food Right, a pack of lions could easily just take on every animal that they that they see, all, all the sick and elderly of a whole pack, and just kill them all. Uh, a cow could eat an entire field of grass, all you know, as much as they want. In nature, they don't get fat. They they don't. There there are feedback mechanisms built into every living creature's biology that says, if I'm doing something that is harming me, I should stop. It's like if you break your arm, your arm hurts until it's healed because your body wants you to protect your arm. It, but for some reason, you know, we don't have the same relationship with food, you know, with, or I should say with modern foods. Um, I mean, look at water. We've never had this level of, you know, um, access to clean water, but nobody, you know, or to say very, very few people are drinking entirely too much water, right? Yeah. It, we just, it, we, we need to look at what the human body is best made for and, and treat it in that way. You know, stop taking these things that are just basically edible entertainment and calling them food. And there's a place for treats, there's a place for desserts, but really, you know, I mean, there's no difference than, you know, from a big slice of cake and a Pop-Tart, you know, but we call a Pop-Tart breakfast, but you wouldn't put, you know, take a child and put a big piece of chocolate cake in them in front of them and say, eat your breakfast. Mm-hmm. But they're exactly the same. And we, that, I, that stuff drives me nuts too, is that for some reason we've, we've decided we need to have dessert for every meal and, you know, twice in between every meal. Yeah, it's it is crazy, man. Like yeah, it's, one it's, of my it's, frustrations it's is that like we live in a time where people like social gatherings are centered around food more so than the relationships yeah. of the social gatherings, and that's like a recipe for disaster. Like people get together to socialize and you know be yeah. merry, and they wind up just going there for the food, and that's just like a negative feedback loop. Yep, and I've gotten yeah, I've gotten fights with people about this. They say, "Well, what do you do when you go out?" Or what you know, yeah, I've. You know, I'm not as strict of carnivore as a lot of people, but I am mostly carnivore. And they ask, well, what do you do when you go out to restaurants? Or what do you do when you go out to gatherings? And I'm like, nobody's holding a gun to your head saying you have to eat. You know, if you're going there just to eat something, just go to McDonald's. I mean, why would you, uh, you're saying that you don't really care about the people. You don't care about the event or the entertainment. You're just going there to eat chips and dip. Really? Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's going to be an individual thing, but you got to make you know, not, not, not make the food a priority. And if somebody offers you something, learn to politely decline it without having shame. Yeah. You know, if my, my, if my mom made me a cake or whatever for my birthday, yeah, sure. I'll have a piece. But if I'm going to go to a party, um, and you know, somebody has got a sheet cake from Costco and it's the exact same sheet cake from Costco. I can go get any day of the week. I'll just, you know, there's no shame in politely declining that. Yeah, I agree. Pe- people, I don't know. People don't know how to say no <laughs> as easily as they probably should. Um, and, and that's that's like a necessary skill too with, with a lot of things. People just give in to temptations and uh, their desires. But I think I think self discipline is honestly one of the the most valuable 
of all the human traits. Like if you have self-discipline, you can literally accomplish anything you set your mind to. Oh, big time. And it, taking it one step dis, uh, beyond discipline, um, I think that uh, I like to short circuit discipline by just calling it a habit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like you don't have discipline to brush your teeth, right? It's just, it's just what you do. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't have discipline to comb my hair or take a shower. It's just a thing you do. And, you know, I don't have discipline for what I eat. It's just what I do. I get up, I get up three days a week and I go to the gym in the morning before work. That's just the thing I do. I'm not being good. There's no virtue behind that. There's not even any discipline behind it. It's like, well, it's Monday, uh, go to the gym and I do the Monday workout and then I go to work and then I come home and I do everything else like I'm supposed to do. Cause that's just part of the day. I think, uh, you, you kind of briefly mentioned it, but I mean, you said you're not doing anything good there. That is something that I want to touch on too. Cause like people, I, I keep generalizing people in general. So I, I apologize for that, but a lot of people, they want to be rewarded for things that aren't necessarily that, I mean, special in the first place. Like like exercise and physical activity and being healthy should be your norm. So why is it necessary to be rewarded for what you should be doing anyways? Same thing with people in the workforce, you know, like they do their job and they expect praise for it. But it's like, that's your job. Like what, 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 what else do you want to see? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it it is it's funny seeing this. Like, well, I mean, it should be kind of its, its own reward. You're, you, you, nobody's telling you have to do anything. I mean, if you wanted, quit your job, never never work out, never eat right, go live on a street corner. I, I don't care. Uh, you know, there, there are options for people that don't want to do that. Um, I saw actually something that was uh, uh, kind of interesting. Somebody was, it was, I think it was on Reddit somewhere. They asked, "What is your end game for fitness once you reach your fitness goals?" And it's like, well. At that point, it's just become part of your lifestyle, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not like you're doing anything virtuous. I'm not saving the world by doing deadlifts. I'm just doing something I enjoy doing. And kind of going, you know, branching off of that, you know, if I, I am um, a big believer in that fitness shouldn't feel like punishment. You know, I don't think, I, I know people, they go to the gym and they're like, oh, I was really good today. I went, I, I went on the treadmill and I ran for 10 miles. I was good. To say that you're doing good means you're making like some kind of sacrifice there. And that, if if that's your mindset, I think you're doing it wrong. I go to the gym because it's fun at the same time. And then the, I just say, well, I go to the gym because it's just, it's a thing I do. But I, the way I work out with the barbell training, as opposed to CrossFit or as opposed to um, long distance running or, you know, opposed to anything else is because that's what I enjoy doing. I like seeing uh, that kind of tangible progress. I like the kind of um, uh, the the burst of power and the the sort of you know self satisfaction thing. That's a big heavy thing, and I picked it up. And I know that most people that I walk you know by at the grocery store couldn't pick that thing up. Therefore, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's how that's how fitness and health should feel. And for you know some people, maybe that just means you play basketball or you play soccer or you know you. I don't know, you play ping pong or something. I mean, just getting out and moving and doing things, that's treating your body the way it's supposed to be. And a lot of people's fitness might look very different than mine. It doesn't mean it's wrong or that I'm wrong or that anybody's wrong. But, you know, I think that anybody would have to say that some degree of physical activity is part of being uh, a healthy human. Um, but if you just feel like you're just killing yourself and you're not having any, you know, you're getting no enjoyment out of it or you don't know why you're doing it in the first place, I mean, it's not going to be sustainable. And it's, I don't think even on, you know, one step further than that is that I don't think it's healthy. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and there's, there's times like when I'm like, you know, 
two months out from a competition. I mean, I don't want to be at the gym. There's, there's times where I just hate being there. I just get mad being there. I'm just unpleasant to be around. <laughs> and that's just kind of when like the, the self-discipline aspect kicks in. Cause it's like, I know I've mm-hmm. got a job to do this. So let's just, you know, put my head down and grind and get it yep. done. But yep. all in all, like I love, I love going to the gym. I love training. I love pushing myself. And that, that, there's like different zones that I get in. Like I'll get in a zone yep. where I'm just like freaking, you know, headphones in, hood on, don't, don't even look at me. And then there's times where I'm just like, you know, happy go lucky. And oftentimes I'll lift heavier when I'm just happy go lucky and just enjoying myself, you know, because then there's like no pressure. It's just, just part of the day. Let's just fun. Let's just have fun and, and, and smile and let's go about the day. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. People need to find what aspect of fitness they resonate well with and they enjoy doing because then it doesn't even become yep. work. Yep. And also, you know, like having that why. I mean, you do what you do because that's your job. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're a fitness icon, you're a bodybuilder and that's what you do. So you say, okay, I don't want to go to the gym today. It's like, well, I might not feel like going, you know, to my job today, but I do it anyway because I want to be good at my job. I you know, I want to move up. I want to keep doing the things that I'm doing that I, I, you know, I don't hate my job. I enjoy my job. But some days I don't feel like doing it, but I go into work every day and I do my best job because that's what's expected of me. And that's what I should be doing. And that's part of being a grown up. And it, it, for whatever kind of endeavor you're going to um, set yourself upon, understanding why you're doing it in the first place is, I think, an important first step that people miss. They're like, okay, I want to be a size whatever by this particular period of time. It's like, why? I have had people tell me I need to lose 30 pounds by June. No, you don't. You'll be perfectly fine if you don't lose 30 pounds by June. Why would you ever want to do that? Well, I've got this thing I want to go to. Okay. If you're too heavy, you can't go. Well, I want to do this. Okay. Let's say, uh, okay. You actually want to, your ex, you know, is going to be there. You want to make them feel bad. Okay. That's a good enough motivator, whatever. But they at least have some kind of understanding of why you want to do anything is, you know, it, it gives you that anchor. Yeah. You know, at the very least you can hit those points where like, I don't want to do this. Oh wait, I wanted to do this because at the end of all this, this is what's going to happen because of all my hard work, whether it's monetary, whether it's vanity. Um, and I'm not using vanity in a, you know, in a negative term. I think vanity is perfectly fine. Everybody wants to feel like, you know, they're attractive, but they're beautiful. And I think that that's totally valid. Um, I say go for it, but you know, have that as an anchor in your mind. What, I mean, are you a fan of like writing things down? Like, do you write goals down? Do you write action steps down? Are you kind of just, you know, instinctive with it? I have on my phone a, a Google um, uh, Google Sheets, whatever they're, yes, Google Sheets uh, thing mm-hmm. on the cloud that um, has a big spreadsheet, and I, it is called the Quest for Games, and that is my uh, my basically I've got it every day from here I think until I think until the end of the year, but to the end of the year of my birthday. I'm not sure what the uh, which is in August, but it's going out of ways, and basically it has um, three checkpoints every week for lists I should be hitting. And uh, all the warm-up sets and everything else on it, and um, what my uh, what my food should look like and what my um, um, what my weight should be at that time, and that kind of gives me all these little checkpoints to kind of go in and do it. I set this you know set this in motion a while back, and it gets um, it gets adjustments. You know, if I get sick or if I get injured or if I have to unexpectedly travel, yeah, it needs to get adjusted, but you know, not adjusted massively. And that just is one of these things that I can always kind of like pull out of my pocket and I can look at it and say, okay, where am I relative to where I wanted to be at this point? Um, am I a total lost cause at this point? Do I need to reevaluate my goals? Uh, do I need to just basically change what I'm doing? Do I need to tweak? What do I, you know, kind of where I am. 
and that's just sort of it, you know, where am I in relation to my path? Um, you know, I like, I like having data. You know, like I said, I'm an engineer by background. Um, I like having that data. I like having that feedback. Um, I like having a plan. Um, but I wouldn't say everybody needs that. I think they just at least need to have some kind of relationship between where they are and where they want to be. Do you do that like outside of fitness and nutrition as well? Like, like with your personal goals in life, relationship goals, stuff like that? Um, maybe not as much as I should. I, I, I probably should be more of a planner. Um, I'm in, I'm in technical sales. Um, and so that does require a fair bit of planning is, you know, uh, customer calls and, you know, uh, quotations and follow up and making sure all that kind of stuff is in line. Um, so I try to stay as organized as I can there. Um, but I think that definitely the granularity of my fitness routine, just because it requires it. Uh, is probably quite a bit finer than uh, most of the other aspects of my life. I do like to wing a lot of things because um, at least, you know, in the real world, and I'm, I'm separating the real world from, say, the gym. Uh, the real world requires you know, a lot of thinking on your toes and a lot of, you know, uh, mental flexibility. And so locking yourself into a routine with everything and locking yourself into a particular schedule or whatever with everything uh, may be actually counterproductive. Um, because it, it doesn't lend you maybe as much flexibility if things get thrown your way and that may be negative or positive, you know, new opportunities can, can fall in your lap and you may disregard them because they're not part of the plan. Um, which yeah. has happened to me a number of times. And, you know, there's luck of, uh, luckily in my opinion, I've taken the, what I believe to be the correct path every time that those, you know, massive life changes have come my way. But that was the flip of a coin. I could have absolutely gone the wrong way and been in a very different place right now. Um, but I had that kind of flexibility to just kind of take a look at it and go, okay, yeah, yeah, this is not what I was thinking, but let's, let's, let's see where we're going. I see potential here. I like it. I like it. I think, um, being able to think on your toes and I don't know, just simply having common sense, like common sense is, is not so common. It seems. (laughs) Oh, a lot of things are labeled common sense when they're just common nonsense is what they are. Yeah, yeah. So let's just kind of dive into some like the the controversial topics. Like you've done a lot of the things, you've seen a lot of things. Um, and I think, I mean, me personally, I, I'm not gonna. I, I I don't have the right to say anybody's right or wrong. I just let people do what they want to do, and then I do what I want to do. Um, uh-huh. But like you you've seen a lot of you know controversial topics as it relates to nutrition and and whatnot. So just kind of dive into some of those hot topics right now, and kind of what your take is on them, and just kind of what you've learned. You know paying close attention to that space. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I think probably what, if anybody's ever followed me on Twitter, I get into, um, we'll say spats with, uh, the vegan community. And, uh, I'm going to go on the record here saying they always start it. It's never me. Okay. I, I, I attract attention to it because I have kind of a boisterous personality out there. I promote carnivory. Uh, I endorse it. I think that, uh, veganism is, inherently unhealthy but it can be made healthier uh, if somebody's intelligent with the way that they supplement and balance the nutrients in in veganism but um i think that it's, it's nonsense it's religious dogma posing as science and i will absolutely you know throw that in people's faces and uh especially as they start to engage me and tell me that i'm harming the planet or killing people or killing myself by eating what is very clearly the natural human diet and I don't, you know, I don't know I, I, anything about the vegan. I mean, I, I'm very, very ignorant. I've never done vegan. I've never tried it. I don't. I'm not looked into the the research or the techniques behind it, or the, even really the community. But uh, if you want to like flesh that out and kind of like dive into some like the nutritional aspects, like why is that not optimal? You've done it, so I mean, you've got something to 
to you know stand on for experience there. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of preface this a little bit by saying that I have known a number of very good vegans, um, who I have adopted it for personal reasons. They just simply do not wish to consume animals or animal products because they believe in their heart of heart it's wrong. Those people, perfectly fine. I chose a different path and I respect theirs. There are, however, vegan evangelists. And these are the people that somehow believe that consuming as much soy, corn, and wheat as they can makes them a better person than me and that they need to tell me this and to uh, try to persuade me to change my beliefs. Um, and if I don't, I'm, a, I'm inherently evil. And um, I think that's nonsense. Most of, we can, we can trace vegetarianism back to basically antiquity. We've got a number of uh, religions, you know, in, in um, Usually, if you look at literature, they'll usually classify them as Eastern vegetarianism, which is sort of these Buddhist and Hindu cult, uh, cultural traditions of uh, all life on Earth being connected. Therefore, you shouldn't be killing things to um, consume uh, nutrition. But all of them will also include animal products like eggs and, and cheese and milk and dairy uh, or you know, other butter, whatever. You know, Indian cooking is you know, a lot of ghee and things like that because your body needs a saturated fat. And I believe that um, going back in the day. Um, they realized this and the people that, that, you know, got rid of the, the all animal products in their life, they're valuable in a, uh, nutrients, the vitamin K and the, um, B12 and the things you can't find in the plant kingdom. Um, they got sick and I think people were much more in tune with their bodies back then, uh, than they are now. And they noticed, well, I, we need to do this to be healthy. Then in the 1800s came the seventh day Adventists where we had a teenage girl had a vision where God told her that everything uh, animal based uh, was evil and bad and corrupting of the soul. This led to um, Dr. Kellogg of Kellogg cereal fame, basically coming up with this idea that uh, we need to remove meat from the, the diet because uh, it causes sexual urges in young men. And instead of eating bacon and eggs in the morning, we're going to have everybody eat uh, these flaked corn products that he calls corn flakes uh, to stop children from masturbating. Whatever. Okay. Why not? I didn't know. And this. He, this is this, you can all you can look all this up. Uh, look up the uh, Dr. Kellogg and the Seventh Day Adventists. Um, this is a big thing. There's another. Um, they they sprouted off into Australia. They have another organization in Australia whose name escapes me. Um, they have the, it's like an acronym, but they own a ton of food companies. And um, let's see. Like from this religious perspective of um, animal products are bad. Any sort of study that could maybe, if you squinted at it sideways, indicate that animal products might be harmful, um, they promoted heavily. And of course, you know, Kellogg's um, is, is a very large company, and I think they might be owned by Kraft, um, which is also a very large company. Uh, you know, huge uh, influence, a major contributor to the, um, uh, or rather, uh, uh, lobbyist uh, kind of company for uh, the American uh, recommendations for dietary consumption, things like that. So any kind of study that says animal products are bad gets heavily promoted uh, by these companies. And then the material interest is also such that, you know, America's in the grain business. So this all lines up very, very well, doesn't it? Um, now, let's see, where was I going with this? So we've got a, a shaky background basically built on this religious vision. And I'm not going to bash religion. Maybe, okay, maybe, maybe she saw this vision, but basically there wasn't science behind it at the time. Any kind of science that, that did kind of halfway back it up got heavily promoted. So we had this, uh, this skewing of the data. And it says, okay, eating animal products are bad. And you have these studies come out that says, okay, meat causes cancer. 
But you dig into the studies a little bit further and it says, well, wait a minute, meat causes cancer. How, what is the mechanism of that? We, haven't we been eating meat for like a really long time? Like, right. Like my grandpa ate a lot of meat and he lived to be 80. Okay. What happened? So you look at the study and it's like, no, that's actually not what the study says. The study says that if you take a rat and you inject it with a carcinogen that gives it colon cancer, and then you give it a diet high in isolated heme iron, which is a byproduct of red meat, which a rat would never eat, the colon cancer gets worse. That's, you know, that's one of the largest studies uh, that gets cited in the vegan community for the mechanism by which meat causes colon cancer. And it's in rats that already had colon cancer in the first place, eating a diet they would never eat in nature. It's, it's so far from, from anything relevant. It is absolute bullshit. And that's the kind of stuff that gets promoted. And then everybody wants to have this kind of, um, headline that they can promote. It says meat causes cancer. Oh my God. And you know, everybody's always heard that meat causes cancer. So this just kind of backs that up. Um, getting back to the, uh, the other side of the spectrum, I think plants get a, um, an unnecessary and undeserved health halo as being this natural product. They couldn't possibly cause any harm, but you know, if you, if you take and you, you extract all the different chemical compounds found in broccoli, there's like 65 different carcinogens. You know, acetaldehyde is, is found in all brassica vegetables. You talk about uh, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, kale, um, in pretty high concentrations, actually. And acetaldehyde is recognized um, by the, uh, the American Cancer Institute, whoever the cancer people are for the United States. It's on the list of chemicals that are known to cause cancer, like not suspected, known. But you never hear anybody saying broccoli causes cancer because these, I mean, for one, because frankly, it, it doesn't, you'd have to eat, you know, 10,000 pounds of broccoli a day to have any kind of health effects like that. But I mean, it's there, but that nobody ever hears about that kind of data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, plants don't necessarily want to get eaten. You know, they have natural pesticides, natural herbicides built into them. Um, you know, if you go and, and eat uh, a lot of raw vegetables, you're probably going to get an upset stomach. And that's your body reacting to the phytates and lectins and uh, oxalates and everything else are in, in vegetables to prevent them from getting just completely mowed down by animals in the field. The high amounts of fiber and stuff, we don't have that gut biome like a, a ruminant would to break it down. You know, it passes un, you know, you know, undigested through your system because your body can't do anything with it. And the, the argument is like, oh, you have all this fiber and it, it, you clean toxins out of your system. Well, that's like saying if you dump a handful of sawdust into the engine of your car, yeah, it's going to blow a bunch of toxic stuff out the back of it, but you can't say that's making the car any healthier, right? So that's sort of where I came to, you know, reading about these different things and, and, and about meat and about vegetables. It really just seems to me that we have this very heavily skewed uh, notion in the direction of veganism that doesn't have any real scientific basis for it. And the, the chemicals that, that human beings do need, uh, you know, cholesterol, saturated fat, um, you know, there's a lot of chemicals of um, acetylcholine. You, you can't get these from plant sources or the ones that are you can get are in form that your body can't process or absorb very well. And, you know, I, I worry about vegans who do these things. And yeah, you can probably do it for a few years with no health problems. But, you know, most vegans go back and a lot of them go back because they don't feel well. And I want people to feel well. I want everybody to feel the way I do. And I only started feeling this way when I started eating what I now realize is probably the diet that, you know, the last several million years on this planet, my species has been eating. I have heard of, of several vegans that 
you know, they would feel really good initially. And that might be simply because they were coming off of like our standard American diet where everything was just crap. And then mm-hmm. after prolonged, you know, time, years on vegan, they would notice, you know, a decrease in performance and just, you know, mental cognition and just how they felt in general. Um, yeah. So, and then they reintroduced meats and that seems to reverse it. Yeah. I mean, you can think about like, look at like teenagers and what, what they can eat. All right. I mean, you, there's, there's teenagers you can see basically will go for, you know, 10 years eating nothing but Coca-Cola and French fries. Right. And they seem like they're okay. But I mean, there's a certain amount of time before the wheels fall off of that. Right. And I think that that also applies to, you know, veganism. And there's certain, I think there's probably better ways of doing veganism than not. Um, like I think that probably, I don't know, I'll say 80 or 90% of, um, health gain in one's diet is done by removing things that are sort of actively hurting you. Right. If you take out, um, you know, inflammatory grains, uh, if you take out, um, highly processed and inflammatory vegetable oils, if you take out forms of refined carbohydrates and sugars, I think whatever remains is probably going to be pretty healthy relative to the average American. I just don't think it's optimal. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've, we're kind of at this point, um, we're surviving is not a good enough goal. We should thrive. Yeah. And I think that we do that through meat consumption. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's going to give you the highest amount of, of, you know, human bioavailable nutrients than anything you're going to find in the, in, in the animal kingdom. It is verified. This isn't up for debate. The most nutrient dense food you're going to find in any grocery store is beef liver. It has, it's so packed with vitamins and minerals and, and protein and healthy fats. It's, it's ridiculous. Nothing in the plant kingdom can even come close. Blueberries can get lost. There's, there's nothing that could touch beef liver. So I, I want people to at least acknowledge that, that there's a, there's an agenda behind veganism. It's about animal rights, animal welfare. Um, a lot of times religion, but it's not about science. Yeah. I, that's, that's something to make note of for sure. You know, like I, I'm not going to say my views or, or ways of thinking is better or worse than anybody else's. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like if, if somebody, I mean, I care about animal rights. Like I don't want to see animals slaughtered. And there are, there's a bunch of like inhumane slaughtering going on. And it's, it's, that's not great. That's not ideal. I don't promote yeah. that by any means. But I mean, I grew up on a farm. I grew up hunting. Like I, I would kill my deer humanely, and then I would eat that deer, and that's what nourished my body. Like that's how I look at eating meat and doing so the right way. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think for people to argue that, you know, people should eat all veganism simply because you know for animal rights' sake, like that's just not the circle of life. Like that's just not the way the world works. You know. Yeah. Have you ever read a book called The Vegetarian Myth by Lear Keith? I have nuts. Uh, I would put that one on your list if you if you have um, a little bit of spare time. It's a it's a three hundred pages. It's not the quickest read, but it's it's worth the read. Uh, and she's a reformed vegan who saw uh, a lot of health trouble and stuff, and um, wanted to basically see what really goes into the manufacturing of food. And what basically she got into trying to grow all of her own vegetables and stuff because if you actually go to the store. Um, and you buy a bunch of organic vegetables. Well, actually, those organic vegetables are fertilized with uh, either cow manure from, um, uh, you know, subjugated cows, if you will, or from uh, bone and blood meal from ground up chickens uh, or from um, nitrate fertilizers that are, you know, very harmful to the environment in the manufacture and transport. Um, a lot of them actually basically made from plants that originally were making um, ammonium nitrate bombs for World War II. 
people don't realize that. But she realized that, wait a minute, the vegetables that I'm growing in the store, you know, they, they aren't necessarily the best thing for the environment. She goes into farming of herself, um, sees, you know, how do I protect my, my crops from, uh, you know, from bugs and from birds and from mice and these things. And eventually comes to the conclusion that looking at farming, and we're going to take farming as sustainable, integrative farming, not in this, not in like in the American style of factory farming where you have these great big warehouses full of animal stuff, you know, front to back, side to side, and two on top of each other. I'm never going to endorse that. That, that is horrible stuff. I think it's unsustainable. I think it's cruel. But the sort of, you know, heritage farming, um, it, it can be all very good for the, the animal. It can be very good for the people raising it. It can be very good for the community. And if you look at it compared to nature, you, you, you have this picture of nature as basically a Disney movie, but that's not the case. You know, an animal doesn't hardly ever die a good death in nature. Mm-hmm. It's going to get sick and, 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 you know, die, uh, you know, over the course of weeks or months, or it's going to get a broken leg and, and then scavengers are going to eat it alive. Or, you know, it's going to have a, a hunter, uh, you know, a pack of wolves tear it limb from limb. That's not a good death. And, you know, up until that death, it's going to be a very, very hard life. But something raised in the sort of Joel Salatin integrated agriculture sustainability sort of model, that cow is going to live a long life. It's going to reach maturity. It's going to have everything I could ever want. It's going to receive medical care if it gets sick. It's going to have uh, food and clean water. Um, if it uh, um, you know, does get uh, an injury, it'll be cared for. And when the end of its life comes, it's going to get a bolt gun to the forehead. and It's going to be dead before it even knows what happens. And it's brutal, but that's really the best life, uh, you know, an animal could hope for in, in nature. That is, that is, you know, that'd be like living on a luxury yacht for your entire life if you're a human being. Yes. You have everything you could ever want. You're relaxed. You're ne- you know nothing's going to come out of the blue and, and tear your legs off. And that's the, what we should be pushing for. And there's very efficient ways of doing that. And there are ways. And there's, you know, more books beyond that that will describe, you know, ways people could be taking this integrated model of um, you know, agriculture and, and animal husbandry and expanding it and growing it and being able to produce, you know, enough fruit for the planet in this way. Um, the idea that you, that you couldn't actually produce enough cattle to feed the world uh, or cattle, pigs, chickens, uh, lamb, whatever else all, would all come together in this sort of integrated agriculture is complete nonsense. You know, you, you've got way more grazing land on this planet than you do farmland. And that's before you even hit the oceans. So, I love I love the idea of that sustainable farming and ranching. That I, I can totally get behind that. I mean, that, that's kind of yeah, how absolutely. I was raised. You, you think like, is there like any good books that you would recommend on how to scale that up to you know meet the? Because one, I mean, we live in an overpopulated planet as it is, uh, so we have to yeah. be kind of strategic on how to you know feed that planet. Well, I think that overpopulation is debatable. What I think that we're doing is we're, we are concentrating. Uh, our efforts in the wrong places. And, um, you know, we need to give uh, as much freedom of, for people to, to move themselves and their goods and their services um, around as we possibly can uh, and allow people to feed themselves and give people the, the freedom to feed themselves um, in any way that they can. Um, and uh, if we want to get into the political discussions about freedom, we can certainly get into that too. But regarding the integrated agriculture, um, there's a guy, Joel Salatin, um, who has a number of books, I guess, that are on my list. I haven't actually read his books at all, but he, he's a, he's a, he practices what he's preaching. He's rebuilding uh, topsoil in his farms, um, which is one of those things that I guess was largely thought to be impossible. He's, you know, you basically, you farm, you deplete topsoil. That's what you do. But he's not. He's growing topsoil 
at uh, hundreds of times the rate that nature would be replacing topsoil by itself. And it's really quite impressive, some of the data I've seen on them. Um, so that'd be a person to look into uh, if you're interested in like, how do we how do we actually feed the planet without destroying it, right? That, that He's done a lot of work on that. And that's, um, every article, I haven't read the books yet, but uh, fascinating stuff. Really, really cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check him out for sure. Um, so, so you're pretty much, you know, carnivore now for the most part, right? Yep. So what is Basically, there... Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm, I'm carnivore, um, except for any kind of vegetable I like. I don't know. I no longer believe that uh, eating vegetables is doing anything positive for my health, but I've found some vegetables that don't seem to cause any negative effects for me, and I eat them. Um, but that's only because I like them and because they're good, you know, delivery mechanisms for um, butter or blue cheese or, you know, crumbled bacon, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's it. What vegetables are those? I'm curious. Uh, I like broccoli. Um I like, uh, actually I discovered, um, a lot of, uh, Chinese vegetables. I'm a fan of those sort of in general, I like bok choy. I like, uh, yam leaves, which mm-hmm. are kind of uncommon. You don't really find those in a lot of the uh, standard grocery stores. Oops, I lost and, uh, I said, uh, yam leaves, they're, they're common in, in Asian grocery stores and they're a little like a little leaf vegetable, like spinach, but they don't have that sort of like gritty, mm-hmm. uh, sort of texture that spinach has. They're very neutral, very pleasant flavor. They go great with like, uh, you know, sauteed with bacon and stuff. Um, eat mushrooms. Um, not technically a plant. Apparently, they're evolutionarily closer to human beings than any plant is. But mushrooms. Uh, yeah, mushrooms. I, Being I, a big I do love mushrooms. Yeah, that's that's a good way to, to you know uh, get a little bit of flavor in there. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. A few brassica vegetables, there, like the broccoli, cauliflower, and um, yam leaves, asparagus every so often. Um, like that, but this is mainly because I enjoy them and I discover that they don't seem to upset my stomach or cause any kind of like problems with, uh, you know, some people say they'll eat the vegetables, they get joint pain, back pain, they'll have reactions to it. Um, I find that eating raw vegetables um, definitely seems to upset my stomach. Um, I find that eating a lot of uh, uh, nuts can cause uh, upset stomach and inflammation in my joints. So I try to avoid those as much as I can. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Beyond that, it's just the, you know, Beef, pork, chicken, eggs, cheese. Is there any, like, have you found or experienced any um, benefit to, like, red meat versus, like, white meats? Or is there a differentiating factor there? I, it feels like when I eat a steak, I have less urge to continue eating once I'm done with it. It feels like maybe I'm more nourished. Um, may, just because I'm... Um, you know, I'm trying to save up, uh, you know, money to buy a house, frankly, um, at least in Northern California. That's what everybody's dream is. But because I'm trying to watch my budget and whatever, I do eat more pork than anything else. But it seems like, you know, if I, if I have some pork uh, for dinner, I'm more inclined to go back and have more pork later or more chicken later, whatever the case may be. But if I have a big steak to save the same amount of calories, if you do the math on it, I don't seem to get that same sort of urge. So I think that's probably the biggest difference I've noticed. And well, you can probably chalk that up to being, you know, higher in certain minerals or, um, more nourishing or different bioavailability. Different, people have different kind of theories about why ruminant meat seems to be better for uh, human consumption. But uh, um, yeah, most of my most of my intake actually does end up being pork chicken. Gotcha. Got, you add a lot of fat to it. Like, are you counting kind of mindful of your fat ratios? Are you just kind of just eating meat and calling it good. Um, I will. I will do sanity checks every so often. Like I'll, I'll track to like, you know, oh, I'm, am I heading in the right direction? Am I, is my weight going up when it should be going down, going down when it should be going up? What's going on? Or am I feeling weak in the gym? And I'll, I'll, I'll double check things, make sure I'm getting enough protein, 
Are I'm getting enough fat? Maybe not too much fat. Am I, am I getting too much fat? Uh, if I'm eating something that's very lean, like chicken breast, which I don't, I'm not a big fan of, but you know, they're, they're versatile. Um, yeah, I'll usually put some kind of fat on it, a butter or a cream sauce or something. Um, if it's something like a, a pork chop or steak or whatever, that usually tends to have enough fat on it, uh, just by itself. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, what about, uh, I mean, like carnivores taking off like wildfire right now. Yeah, Some people yeah. have said that carnivore is like, you know, the next veganism, basically like the whole, you know, oh, yeah. what, what's your take on that? Oh God. Yes. Okay. So I like carnivory. I think it's a very, uh, perfectly, um, valid way and healthy way of eating and living, but like anything else, you can sort of absorb it into your personality and turn it into part of your identity. And I think that is a bad idea. I, I know a number of people um, who have you know gotten to the point where they're like, oh, you know, literally only beef is the, is the correct food. And if you eat chicken or if you eat broccoli, uh, you're going to die. And it, it or, you know, it, it's poison or it's, it's terrible or whatever. It's like, mm. I mean, maybe for some people, the, the, the most perfect possible diet for them is nothing but beef. But I don't think anybody really knows that. And I definitely don't think anybody knows that that's the correct diet for anybody else either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people tend, I mean, maybe it's just because it's more in its, in its um, infancy right now, but people seem to be less dogmatic and preachy about carnivory than um, you know, vegans tend to be. But our community is very, very small. Um, so, but yeah, I don't really like the people that are like, oh, you know, you, I can't believe you're eating something that isn't beef. What is wrong with you? And it's like, no, nah, just just let people do their own thing. I mean, I, I was kind of in the um, the other camp of uh, keto for a good long while where um, vegetables are inherently healthy and you should basically eat a little teeny tiny amount of meat and lots of vegetables just drenched in butter. And that worked well for a while. Um, and then, But then I went this whole carnivory way where I'm eating vastly more uh, protein, more protein in the form of meat, not in the form of, um, you know, say uh, quest bars, but, uh, you know, more protein in the form of meat. I feel better for it. And I encourage people to try it, but I don't even know if this is the most optimal way for me to eat. So I don't tell anybody it's the most optimal way for them to eat. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's good. You know, I, I don't ever like seeing people deal in absolutes. Like I, I just don't like absolutes. I feel like people, yeah. you know, should, should experiment, see what their body responds well to. If, if, you know, a certain yeah. macro ratio or, you know, nutrient profile is best for you, then, you know, keep, yeah. keep rocking it. But I don't, I don't like it when people tell me how to consume things and that I'm doing things wrong when I've done all kinds of stuff, experimentation, have a pretty good pulse on what my body prefers, you know? Yeah, exactly. And we live in a great time right now where we've got the ability to connect with, you know, everybody all over the world. And we can do these kind of citizen scientist, uh, N equals one individualized experiments, um, and see what happens. And, you know, if you look at these studies that say, okay, what would happen uh, if I if I went to say, you know, a university and said, what would happen if I if I ate nothing but chicken for forty days, and you know, we got another two hundred people to do the exact same thing with me? Who would fund that study? What possible benefit could you get from that? You'd never get money for that, but you might be able to get a couple hundred uh, crazy people online to sign up for this whole meat heals nonsense and eat nothing but beef for thirty days or a year, and it's like. Oh, you'd never get you know funding for that, and you know, having a bunch of anecdotes in one place isn't necessarily science, but it's something. And you have this interesting data set where you say, okay, meat should be causing all these problems, and here's a bunch of people that ate literally nothing but meat, and 
what happened to them? Did they all die? Did they all get heart attacks? Is their cholesterol, you know, through the roof? Are they getting arterial plaques? If not, maybe that's enough incentive to get more study done in what is actually causing disease. And that all comes from this rejection of dogma and this idea that maybe experiment yourself and see what works and encourage those around you to do the same. Yeah, I completely, completely back you on that one, man. What what, what is mm-hmm. what do you think is like the the biggest like if if there's one overarching just wrong or dogma out there? I just said we don't deal in absolutes, but if there's like one thing that just is totally counter to what we've learned reality to indicate, what would what would that be for you? Are you talking inside the sort of uh, enlightened keto sphere? You're talking about just uh, like all of the the Western world. Uh, but both, let's dive into both, like keto specifically, and just go into the Western world as a whole, man. We'll just we'll just go deep with it. <laughs> All right, I think in the keto world, the biggest issue is um, this this sticking to the um, the holy macro ratio as handed down by uh, Finney and Volek, the most uh, you know enlightened of the the ketogenic universe. Like this, it's like okay, this you know what is this seventy five twenty five. Mm-hmm. ratio that, that in the art and science of uh, low carbohydrate living that's a good starting point is what that is that is not the the most optimal possible ratio for all human beings on earth also just because something happens to fit those ratio doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you i mean you could take you know a scoop of whey protein and cover it in canola oil and it's going to meet those ratios perfectly but that doesn't mean it's good for you you know there there's better there's, there's things outside those ratios. The ratios are sort of a sanity check to see like, okay, am I eating anywhere near what would be considered a ketogenic diet? And then you sort of have to take some degree of common sense and, you know, um, uh, personalization to say, how do I make this work for me? Now, somebody might, um, you know, be wealthy enough to do the whole, you know, grass fed beef and, you know, fancy pants, uh, heritage pork or whatever. Uh, they might be able to have a relationship with a local butcher. Somebody else might be in the middle of an inner city food desert and the best thing they can get is spam. And so, you know, it's all about doing the best for you and not saying that something is or is not, you know, healthy just because it is or is not in the ratios, but, you know, examining it and tailoring it to your own lifestyle rather than trying to put everything under the same umbrella. I think that's probably the, the key thing for the, the, the ketogenic world. Like I said, you could live on ketogenic cheesecake forever um, and it looks like it fits the ratios, but I mean, you're kidding yourself using that the healthiest way to live or the, even the healthiest way to do keto. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, like you said, those, those ratios are a great starting point, but then, you know, learning to be in tune with your body and, and figuring out what your, you know, protein and fat thresholds and carb thresholds are yep. is of paramount importance. Yep. What would you say to someone that, that does, you know, like they don't have the, the quality, the meats, they don't have the quality foods available to them. They don't have the budget to afford them you know what what's the best way for them to approach keto and that's tricky um it depends on how like how far down the 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 economic ladder you find yourself um i think that um you know try to try to like stock up when things go on sale um try to shop smart um you know at most um you know, most people might not have access to a Whole Foods if they live in a, you know, in an inner city or in a you know, poor area, but they probably have access to an ethnic grocery store, which is sort of a, a goldmine um, for good quality uh, produce and meats at quite a low price. And I, 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 you know, frankly, I make pretty decent money, but I do most of my shop, shopping at a local Mexican grocery store because they have some of the best quality meats I can find anywhere 
for literally half the price uh, sometimes of my local Safeway. And, you know, that's, that's not open to just people like me. It's anybody who lives in those kind of areas, do a little looking around, do your best. And um, also look into like delivery services. There's, there's um, uh, like Freshly and there's um, that guy Thrive. Um, they, they do these home deliveries for things like that. And just do it where you can. And don't think that you're failing by if you can't do it 100%. You know, I think there's somebody moves away from eating, you know, say mostly, you know, let's say 90% processed garbage from, uh, you know, from McDonald's or, you know, from the you know corner market and then, you know, moves to maybe doing 50% processed garbage. That's an improvement. And, you know, do what you can now. And if you, you know, hopefully I would hope in five years you find yourself in a better place and at least educate yourself to, to have that sort of goal um, of being able to make those investments in your own health when you're able to do so. I mean, it's like, I'd like to be able to make monetary investments in things that I just, I'm not financially active or financially healthy enough to be able to do. But I know that when I achieve that level, um, I, you know, I, I know how I would like to invest money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same thing. So that's, that's a good mindset for people to have if they don't have that level of, uh, you know, access to good quality food at this point. Do what you can. That's a, that's a good even point. if it's not keto, even if it's not keto, you know, a can of spam is still better than, you know, I think a loaf of bread. Yeah, what, for sure. What, what about, um, like, on that note and kind of what you were touching on earlier, like, is there, like, do you have a preference towards, you know, grass-fed versus grain-fed or organic versus non-organic vegetables given the choice in the supermarket? Um, good question. Um, grass-fed, I support mainly for um, ethical reasons. I think that, like I said, if you talk about feedlot-fed animals, um, you, there are serious ethical concerns. There are serious environmental concerns um, with American-style factory farming. Uh, that said, sometimes I buy it. I mean, if, it, if it's gone on sale and it's really cheap, I will buy it. I mean, just being being open there. But I, I like the idea of heritage pork and grass-fed beef and things like that, mainly for ethical reasons. Um, I don't think there is a lot of good data to show that it is necessarily better for human beings in any tangible way. There's, a, there's something that says, oh, the omega-3, 6 ratio or, you know, such and such uh, fat ratio or this kind of protein or amino acids, and that's okay. All right, so you've got a little bit of data that says this, these particular numbers happen to be better. Does that contribute to better or worse human health? That data we don't have. So uh, that also kind of... Um, you know, echoes back to earlier, do what you can. Uh, if you can afford the grass-fed beef and you kind of share my views that um, there are issues with grain-fed um, factory farmed beef, go for it. Um, but I don't think you're necessarily doing a bad thing by going with, you know, your regular grain-fed, corn-fed beef. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm always looking for different different types of foods and whatnot and seeing, because there's so much that we don't know. People, I mean, these big companies, they only show what, what they want you to see. So, like, we don't even know how, how they how a lot of this food comes to comes to fruition. So, a lot of the marketed yep. organic and grass fed options are are not even what we would what we would hope they would be. Well, a lot of people don't realize that um, organic is basically just uh, like a certification. And there's a lot of foods out there that would meet the organic um, like guidelines, but the farms are too small to pay the fees to get the organic badge. And I believe it was Whole Foods, it might have been Sprouts, it might have been one of the other ones, but they were basically going to start doing their own uh, certification program to um, put their own stamp on things, but not charge for it. Um, so, uh, I'm an engineer. Um, if you look at anything that plugs into the wall, there's a sticker on it that says UL. 
UL is Underwriter Laboratories. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Okay, so anybody who is listening that doesn't know, Underwriters Laboratories is uh, basically a, a standards and safety organization that verifies that some product is going to be safe for you to use in your home or business, or whatever. They have different kinds of certifications. They're not a government body. They're just a, a company that put, tests things and puts their stamp on it that says that, yeah, this thing is not probably going to catch on fire when you plug it in. And that's what these, these grocery stores are, um, or this grocery store was going to do. I don't know if that just fell through or whatever the case be. I haven't heard a whole lot of fanfare when I first heard about it since, but um, just because of the, the bureaucratic nightmare of getting the USDA certified organic badge, if you're a small farm, um, when other things out there would technically meet that uh, specification, just from, you know, the, the owners of the farms want to produce a quality product, um, has led, largely led me to believe that the whole organic movement is BS. So I, you know, as far as organic vegetables, ah, I'm not really too impressed by them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I hadn't, I don't know. I try and do some research on all the places that I go for my, my foods, and I've I've heard that that's oftentimes the case. Like they they've not changed anything. They've just basically let the the certification lapse because they didn't want to keep paying the money for it. Yeah, you know. And even on the on the other side, there's, there's you know, um, you know, organic doesn't mean no pesticides. It just means they use one of these pesticides that happens to be on the approved list. And if you think that being on the approved list has no kind of like political agenda behind it, or somebody didn't kick some congressman some kind of money to get on the list, you're deluding yourself. These things are, are hardly ever backed by science or at least hard science or any kind of peer review. Um, you know, you say these organic pesticides, whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to verify that those are actually any healthier for you than uh, any other degree of in any other kind of pesticide or herbicide getting sprayed on crops. Yeah. So wash your vegetables. if You're going to eat them. And, uh, you know, just go, go into it with a little bit of healthy skepticism. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What is going to dive into, man? Um, well, let's see. Um, I think that it's important for people to learn how to interact with each other in general. And people that are listening to you right now who have seen my Twitter feed may be a little bit surprised to hear me say that because I tend to bash on vegans a lot. But if you trace the thread back, uh, you'll find out that I'm always polite at first. And there is a trend, and this is, this is something that is unfortunately quite you know, deeply embedded in, uh, in America right now, is this, this very common divide between us and them, and I'm over here and you're over there, and therefore I'm a good guy and you're a bad guy because we are in competing camps and people treat it like it's world of Warcraft or something. And it's not. Um, if you can take somebody and take any one of their beliefs, and that can be a belief about religion or a belief about politics and a belief about food, or it doesn't really matter, but you can take that one belief about them and assume that you know all that there is to know about that person that makes you an asshole. And if you can take that person at the same time and assume that if they knew everything that you knew, that, that you would believe everything that you would believe, that's to say if, if they lived the same kind of, or if they read all the same books you did, and um, you know, listened to all the same TED Talks you did, that they'd believe exactly the same things you believe, you're wrong. It's, and, and people just assume, like, oh, you need to educate yourself, or you need to do this, or you need to, you know, you know read this book or do that. And these things, what they should do is they should you know, definitely open up new information to new people, offer them opportunities to be educated, but don't assume that people believe what they believe or behave the way they behave because they are stupid. Uh, you know, it runs contrary to what you believe. 
you know, I don't think vegans are stupid. I'll bash them all, all day long because I think they're silly. And I think the, the ones that interact with me on, on the internet are, you know, uh, blinded, um, you know, dogmatic fools. And I have no problem saying that, but that's not to say all vegans are, mm. you know, the ones who are going to put the, the stupid, you know, put you know, the, the little stupid V for vegan in their, in their Twitter handle. It, I'm not going to help them. They have no interest in any science I'm ever going to present to them. They're never going to listen, but so, you know, I'll, I'll have fun with it. I'll tease them and, and make fun of them. But somebody else on that conversation might be a vegan, say a lowercase vegan and, you know, lowercase V and vegan. And they're doing it because they believe it's the healthiest way to, to see it. And they might see that conversation and say, oh, hang on a minute. This, this meat guy has some interesting information that maybe reexamine their own, own views. So that's, you know, keep an open mind about everything. I think that where I am um, in every aspect of my life, I am here because I questioned what I had originally assumed or somebody had questioned it for me, you know, somebody challenged it and, you know, you, you kind of step back and you, you get yourself into a very scary place and you say, well, what if I'm wrong? What, you know, what if, what if everything I do was, was complete, uh, you know, complete nonsense or complete lies um, or, you know, bad science, or, you know, it was my own biases actually clouding my own judgment and take just kind of entering into any kind of um, relationship or any kind of conversation with the sort of mindset that's like, we're going to be disrespectful or we're going to be respectful to each other. We may disagree, but, let's assume that who I'm talking to knows something that I don't and that maybe I know something they don't. Hopefully they will respect that and we'll be able to walk away with new information to reexamine the world we live in. So um, that's not exactly food and, you know, it's a little bit deeper than, than, you know, what you eat and what you lift, but I think that's a good sort of position to approach anything, including health and nutrition. No, man, I, I completely agree. You hit the nail on the head. I think, yeah, me personally, I, I always, I try and go through life, with the honest belief that there is something that I can learn from every single person I come in contact with. Yep. E- that even is if the it's, best mindset to have. Yeah, I mean, even if it's simply like, wow, they are not what I want to be, let me really <laughs> look at that and reflect on that, and, and that is inherently you know, teaching me something. Um, yeah. But so I, I truly believe that I can, I can benefit from you know, having an open mind towards anybody. Um, and then you know, I think just being, you know, I, I'm really open-minded, but I'm really stubborn, I guess. Um, so like, I, I test things pretty religiously on myself and I, you know, do a lot of self-experimentation. And if there was like crazy amounts of research, you know, all the science in the world that, that came out next week and said, keto is 100% the worst diet in the world, I would be like, okay, I'm, I'm open to see the suggestion, this research, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I know that I feel significantly better eating this way. So I'm probably going to continue to do it, you know? Um, so I, I take that science and everything into consideration, but at the end of the day, like yep. no nobody can tell me how I feel. Nobody can tell me that I feel wrong. I mean that that's that's mm-hmm. my decision at the end of the day and, and, and I'm gonna do what, what I feel is best. Yeah, and that's why you know I always say to people, you know, if they want to do what I do, I will be more than happy to kind of coach you or tell you what to expect or how to do this sort of uh, meat heavy ketogenic diet the way I do it. I'm not gonna tell you you have to do it. Um there's plenty of science that says like, oh, keto's gonna kill you and you know you know, cause your head to fall off or everything else. You know, there's all these studies out there that are, you know, they're, you know, scare tactics. Um, but I mean, you can find, you can find studies that support both sides of just about any kind of scientific issue. So, uh, that's the way, that's my stance. I say, I'll say to people like, if you're doing what you're doing now and it's working, I don't have anything to say to you. It's, it's fine. Keep doing what you're doing. I don't care what, what people do and eat and exercise, how they exercise or don't has zero effect on my life. None. I literally could not possibly care less 
about somebody else eating. I don't care. But if somebody wants to improve their health, I'm here to help, at least to get them to the level where I am right now. Uh, and if somebody says, you know, let's try something different for, for your health, Daniel, I'll be like, okay, let me listen. And, you know, I, I, I would like to, now they've sort of found a way that gets me to a certain point uh, in my health. Um, you know, I want to try some of the experiments. What if I tried like vegan keto? You know, there's some indication that, that uh, a vegan ketogenic diet has certain benefits that a meat heavy one does not. I've never tried it. Maybe I will, you know, uh, and, and just being open-minded to that, I think is, you know, just a good way to approach uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's kind of crazy. I mean, the, like you, you have a pretty substantial Twitter following, you know, I, I guess I'm considered an influencer in this space as well. So like mm -hmm. we have to kind of have that change in thinking as we make recommendations because, I mean, people, like I can tell, tell people all day long, you know, it's important to be in tune with your own body, do your own self-experimentations and, and yep. figure out how you feel. But if they catch a snippet of anything I say and that snippet's like I advocate a higher fat ratio, then they might just, you know, take that at face value and, and just live by that. But you mm -hmm. know, at the end of the day, like people truly do need to put their own health in their own hands and then just – you know, learn to read what their body is telling them. Yeah. People have such a disconnect from their body. You know, they, they, they force themselves to stay awake when they're sleepy. They, you know, they, they don't listen, you know, they, they, they might hurt their knees and they still stand up and walk around all day or still go to the gym and don't get the self, you know, body, the, the, the rest they need to recover. Um, they, they take, you know, supplements that are helping them. They, they, you know, hurt. It, people stop listening to their bodies. And that really is number one, um, you know, develop that kind of relationship with your own, you know, central nervous system that says, is what I'm doing actually helping or am I hurting myself? Uh, am I getting better? Or am I getting worse? Where am I in relation to where I was, say, a month ago? And that's, I mean, probably, probably the most important thing you can do for your health and being able to re react to that and to tweak things and find out if you're going in the right direction or not and being able to steer that boat. You know, once you've got that down, you know, you, there's nothing that can stop you at that point. Yeah, and see that, at that point, it becomes so much more sustainable because then it becomes like a fun game almost. Like people start a diet, they start a lifestyle, they start keto, and they're just like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got years and years of this dieting to reach my goal. But when you change your perspective on it and look at it as, okay, I found a tool that I can now use to tweak things. Let's make a game of this and have fun with it. You know, what, what does this do to my health? What does this do to the way I feel? And just continue to refine that process. Yep. Like it becomes so much more sustainable because you look forward to the manipulations day to day. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Well, sweet, man. Um, where, where, where can people go to, to find more about you and all these, all these crazy Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter battles going on? Uh, yeah, you can find me just, right now. It's just on Twitter that may expand. I've got a lot of people who want me to form my own podcast and, uh, you know, a YouTube channel, um, doing, uh, my, you know, watch me cook steaks and drink whiskey and all that kind of fun stuff. But right now, just the uh, only place you're going to find steak and iron is on Twitter at steak and iron, uh, all one word. Um, can't miss me. Uh, I'm on there. I'm having fun. Uh, probably a lot more than I'm supposed to be if my boss had any input on that. But, um, yeah, I'm there. Ask Steak and I on Twitter. Uh, come hit me up. And, you know, once my, I have some writings, I have some, some musings and thoughts and things that have been put to paper. Uh, those might be published or, you know, you know, put out like a PDF uh, at some point. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, man, I'll be looking for those for sure. One, one parting question for you. 
what yeah. is your I mean with a name like steak and iron, I would assume that you've got a pretty good pretty good handle on the best steak and the best uh best whiskey. Yeah, I think so. What 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 what's your what would you what would you advise there? Uh, for steak, I, the, the best thing I've found so far is get yourself a nice, um, I'm a fan of the, the, the Costco, um, ribeyes of the USDA choice or USDA prime in the, in the blue styrofoam, get yourself one of those, uh, get yourself on Amazon, a sous vide immersion cooker, bring that up to 109 degrees or 129 degrees Fahrenheit for about two to three hours, uh, dry it off, salt and pepper and stir that in a pan. That'll be the best steak you've ever had in your life. I guarantee it or your money back. Um, for whiskey, um, depends on what kind of whiskey you like. If you like American whiskey, I am a huge fan of Wild Turkey Rare Breed, uh, which is a little bit unusual uh, bottle to find. But uh, if you can find it, pick it up. Um, and uh, anything by a company called Compass Box, an American company that do weird blends of scotches, um, usually kind of pricey, but uh, worth every penny. Do do you find that like you get any like negative response in your body with the with the whiskey you know being on ketosis being in ketosis for so long? I've, I've actually okay I'm actually the moderator of a, a Reddit uh, or a subreddit called Keto Drunk and this is a pretty common dis, uh, discussion. Yes, uh, when you're in keto, uh, you're actually in active ketosis. Your body's holding on to quite a bit less water, and you will get uh, drunk faster and you'll get drunk more severely. So if you are um, you know, if you, if you do drink occasionally and you go on keto, uh, on keto and then like, you know, the weekends come up and you, you, you know, pound your normal six shots, it's going to hit you hard. Um, one thing that I have noticed for myself is that, um, you know, it used to be, I'd have, you know, getting, um, inebriated in any, in any sort of way or sort of be a linear process. Like I'd, I'd have one drink and I'd get one drink worth of intoxicated and then two drinks would be two drinks worth of intoxicated. But on, Keto, I get, I basically hit a plateau where like one and four drinks feel exactly the same. And then the fifth drink, I'm completely blitzed. So there's not like any lead up to it. It's all of a sudden hits you like a truck. I'm not sure what the biological reason for that is, but a lot of people have found the exact same thing. And um, if you do overdo it, make sure you drink plenty of salt and water before you go to bed because the hangovers in ketosis are the absolute worst, which is why I've cut back considerably, uh, you know, from my college days, but I'm um, just going to be aware of that going in. If you're going to indulge, just, just be aware. It's not like, uh, you know, the good old days. What, what do you think happens? Like, um, you know, like if people are trying to, you know, improve their composition, you know, and they, they're wanting to drink, that's kind of just part of their lifestyle that meeting up with the buddies. What's the best way to kind of minimize the downside from like a, you know, performance and optimizing composition standpoint? I would say that uh, hydration is the most important thing. And that's always going to be the most important thing for, I mean, just kind of in general. I mean, people just don't tend to drink enough water, I think. But uh, especially if you're in ketosis, you're holding on to less water. And then you're going out to uh, drink, which is, you know, alcohol is a diuretic. It is, you know, you're going to expel a lot of water and you're probably going to expel a lot of salts with it. And there's a lot involved in the, uh, in the metabolism of alcohol that will cause your body to expel sodium. Um, make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Make sure you're getting plenty of salt. If I ever go out drinking, uh, what I'll do is I actually got um, the, the like rock salt, uh, Himalayan pink salt. So it's, it's pink salt, but each, each grain is like the size of a pea. Um, I'll just take like a small handful of that maybe about a, a, um, a heaping, uh, maybe like a teaspoon or so is worth. And just, you know, right in my palm of my hand, down the hatch with a glass of water, and that seems to mitigate any kind of bad effects that I would otherwise have. 
Gotcha. A lot, um, a lot of people you, say to, yeah. to just drink kind of on an empty stomach so your body can burn through it faster. What's your take on that? From Okay, from, a, from like a body composition standpoint, that's actually probably better because you do get an insulin uh, spike with the consumption of any alcoholic beverage, uh, which means if you do have it with fat, it'll, it's going to shuttle the fat directly into your cells. You're going to be, you know, you, eating fat doesn't make you fat, but eating fat it with a, uh, an insulin load does shuttle triglycerides into your fat cells. So, yeah, your, your best bet if body composition is your main concern would be to drink on an empty stomach. It's going to make you hungry, um, just like drinking normally does. I mean, people don't usually, you know, show up at Taco Bell at, you know, two in the morning totally sober and eat, you know, two $5 boxes. That's not usually what happens. But, you know, just be aware of, uh, of the effects that are going to happen. For one, drinking on an empty stomach and in ketosis and the fact that I'm going to endorse distilled alcohol because that's zero carbohydrates. That's stacking the deck against you. So just uh, <laughs> just uh, just be aware that, that you it's, it would be very easy to overdo it at that point. And I, don't, a cheap date. Uh, I don't endorse. Oh, you're going to be a very cheap date for sure. But like I said, that's going to allow you to sort of, uh, if, if you're uh, somebody who enjoys alcohol, um, I enjoy it more now while consuming less because I can have a bottle last a long time. I can, you know, say if my budget for, you know, a couple months is maybe a hundred bucks, I can buy $100 bottle of something that's quite good and enjoy it over an extended period of time as opposed to, you know, just getting the cheap stuff and slugging it down. And it's, it's kind of nice. Also, your, your taste buds tend to be more active when you're in ketosis because you're not constantly bombarding with all these processed sugars and stuff. So you can appreciate these kind of, you know, the subtleties of uh, if you like, you know, dark red wine or if you like scotch or whiskey or the case of you really can tell the difference between them and uh, appreciate them, I think, on a better level than you could, uh, you know, like I said, if you're, you know, eat Snickers bars all day. Do you, like, have you ever tested ketones and glucose, like, like as you're drinking, just kind of to see the progression. No, and I've kind of actually been interested to try that. Um, I have uh, one of the uh, what is it, the Abbott um, blood glucose and ketone monitor hmm. uh, freestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the one that lives in your extra. Yeah, the precision extra. I, I have one, um, and I, it came with like a couple of glucose strips, and I never bought any ketone strips. I got it because there was like a deal where you can get the whole thing with with a few glucose strips for like ten bucks. I just got it, just kind of on a whim, but I never bought any ketone steps for it. But it'd be interesting, especially if I do start to have um, like a YouTube channel or something where I'm putting out content. I, that's one of the things I do want to try is like see how do different things affect at least me um, as far as um, ketones and blood glucose. And you know, I remember you know, people have done things like, you know, what happens when I eat a Quest bar? What happens if I, you know, do this? And what is skim milk and Cheerios the same as heavy cream and Cheerios if it's, if it's the same amount of... Uh, calories in terms of how it affects your blood glucose these are really interesting experiments um so yeah it'd be interesting to see what does happen to blood glucose and uh and ketones after a couple of couple of drinks yeah who knows I think so if, if somebody could pick we're just talking about alcohol now but if, if somebody <laughs> was going to uh you know go out and drink and they wanted to get the best drink concoction for the ketogenic diet like not not going on flavor not going on any of that just the best thing for them to drink for keto, what, what would you recommend? Probably your best bet would just be stick with your distilled alcohols um, and appreciate it. You know, get a, get a good glass of whiskey, something off the top shelf, um, and and sip on that. Appreciate it, enjoy it. Um, you know, I don't I don't really think it's necessarily the healthiest thing to go out drinking for the express, you know, um, point of just getting hammered. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s now. I don't do that. Uh, but yeah, the still alcohol, there's zero carbohydrate. They're going to probably put you back 
uh, in terms of your progress, less than anything. And I think that that whiskey is just, it, it's unique in that you, you can really tell a lot of differences between them. Um, I, you know, vodka, I never thought was really that interesting because the ideal vodka tastes like nothing. And that doesn't really impress me. Um, but the you know, whiskeys from all these different countries, Japanese whiskey is very different from Canadian whiskey is very different from American whiskey or Scotch whiskey or Irish whiskey. It's, it's kind of interesting to see the different processes and the history behind them and why they are the way they are and how they're manufactured and, um, what you can taste in them and different, the different years and the different aging and different wood that they're aged in. And, you know, it's, you can make it kind of a hobby. Make what, it drunk. What about, uh, like a good sip in the key? Like, is there, is there a, do you pr- like those at all? I do actually. I don't know a whole lot about tequila. I did pick up this uh, extra añejo. It was like a seventeen-year-old tequila. It looked like whiskey. It was just as dark as a whiskey, and the name is escaping me. But it was uh, it's in this really bizarre bottle. Oh, man, it's escaping me. And my my limited experience with tequila, um, most of them are pretty regrettable, honestly. Yeah. Uh, just because you know what happens with tequila, people line up shots in the bar and. Uh, then, you know, somebody's dancing on the table 20 minutes later. Um, yeah, that never but, is uh, <laughs> I tend to I tend to prefer things that are going to be more aged in general. I think that, that more it makes more differentiation, more flavor, uh, more complexity in them. And especially when you're in ketosis and you're not uh, eating a lot of uh, artificial sweeteners or anything like that that are maybe overloading your tongue. Um, getting an Añejo or an extra Añejo tequila uh, as a sipping tequila. Um, try a couple of them. Find out what you like. Very good, very good. Yeah, I, I haven't drank in a long time, man, but I'd be curious to see. I'd be, I'd be curious to do that experiment and see how it affects, you know, with me being in ketosis. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, look, look in a certain way as sort of your job. Uh, I have to do, you know, what I do and maintain a certain level of fitness um, just basically so that I'm able to function in my everyday life and I have to fit in, you know, a, a job and a long commute and, you know, home life and everything else on top of that and, you know, it, for me, I think a big benefit of, of keto and barbell training as a combination is basically that I don't really put that much time or effort into looking the way I do. People assume I'm a gym rat. I'm not. You know, I work out two or three days a week. Um, I eat really about as much as I want just of particular foods. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not a bad looking dude now. I mean, I used to be, you know, very overweight and fat and everything um, and not feel very well. But now, despite putting you know, very little effort into it. I think I look all right. You know, I'm not going to be a bodybuilder. I'm not going to be a fitness model or a, tr- a personal trainer or anything that demands I have, you know, 6% body fat. But, you know, uh, I- I'm happy with where I'm at for very little, very little effort put in. Yeah, I think, I mean, ha- having like a certain body fat goal, you know, that- that's admirable for sure. Like, I-, I take pride in the fact that I've gotten down to, you know, like 3, 3.5%. Three but, I mean, to have a, a body fat goal, it's kind of arbitrary. Like, that's going to look different yeah. for everybody. Like, as long as you're confident and and pleased with the way you look and feel and, and perform i mean th- yep. that doesn't have to be associated with a certain number yeah and just you know do you feel comfortable in your own skin for most people who are not you know fitness uh um you know professionals they just want to look good in clothes they want to feel happy in their own skin they want to be able to go to the pool or the beach and and not feel embarrassed and you know at the same time they can't be putting in you know these you know two or three hour workouts uh, five days a week and, you know, meticulously measuring every possible nutrient and, you know, carrying a food scale with them to work and, you know, Tupperware, uh, just filling their fridge, fridge with, you know, pre-made meals with all macronutrients and, and calories and everything are all perfectly, uh, managed and they're making sure they're not using too much cooking oil while they're, you know, sauteing their asparagus. Or that's madness. That's, that's for a very specific subset of people. For real people, I just feel like doing a, a ketogenic diet is, 
and, and barbell training just to get that, that, that functional strength, you know, to relieve things like knee pain and back pain and everything else like that and, and have the right, you know, body composition. It's just, it's such a great place to go from. And I know if I wanted to put in, you know, I could go to the gym every day if I wanted to. I don't want to. I frankly don't want to put in that much work. It's not that important to me. I don't need to be shredded. You know, I just need to be at the point where I don't feel gross. Yeah. And that's exactly where I am. I feel good. You know, if I wanted, if, if there was a pool party tomorrow and I was going to be you know, running around in my swim trunks, I'll be fine. I'm happy with it. I love it, man. I love it. That's, that's, that's the main thing too. You know, you get, yep. you get one life. You might as well just want it. You might as well just work to look good, be confident, enjoy the moment you have while you're on earth and yep. not have any regrets. Yeah. You know, different people's fitness looks very different. Some people want that six pack. Some people want to be the, you know, by the, 800 pound deadlift, uh, you know, big round, uh, power lifter guy. And neither one of those is wrong. You know, I agree. I agree. I, I like it, man. I like, I like how open-minded you are. I get that, uh, that vibe comes through a lot and I, I can definitely appreciate that. Wasn't, wasn't always like this. It's been a lot, been a long, uh, long journey and a lot of times of me being wrong. Uh, so that, that humbles you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good though. You know, like if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't be near as open-minded as you are now. Mm-hmm. I'm digging it. Well, sweet man, I'll uh, I'll I'll link out to, to your Twitter and everything so people can follow you. Um, and let's let's definitely keep in touch, man. You said that you might start doing like the YouTube and like the the blog post writing. I'd be all about that. I'd, I'd be keen to get your take on things as you you know find it fit to to write about them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just need to find the time to do it, and uh, you know I spend a lot of time traveling for work. I'm on airplanes a lot, and that's where I do you know a lot of my writing or whatever. But uh, yeah. Um, I think there's content to be made. People seem to like the way I present my message and I have a lot of fun doing it. You know, this is something that, I mean, literally, it probably just literally second to me finding my wife, finding keto and barbell training and the way I, I, I treat fitness is the most important thing has changed virtually every aspect of my life. And I, I, like I said, I just want everybody to feel the way I feel every day to be able to get up and attack the day with energy and with, with joy because I went so long without it, and I know what both sides feel like. And this is this is so much better. That's my mission too, man. I mean, being on the other side and seeing kind of how much better you perform and just how much more value you're at, you're able to add to the world and just the people you interact with on a day to day. Like that's yep. that's powerful. You know, the more people that can experience that and replicate it, I mean, the, the world will be a better place. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome, awesome. Well, Daniel, man, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, man. Yeah, thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, I, I feel honored to be on the list of, uh, you know, all the different uh, doctors and visionaries and authors and everybody else who's found on your podcast up to this point, and then there's me. So uh, it, it's been fun. It's been real. And uh, I, am, I am honored and humbled to be on uh, and uh, on that list. Hey, thank you very much. Man. Just like I said, like I, I, I believe I can learn something from everybody. So that's why, it's, that's why you're on here, just like everybody else is. Cool. Love it, man. All right, man. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk soon for sure. Keep in touch, buddy. Will do. Take care, man.